Hello, welcome back to another edition of Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I will be giving you the wrestling highlights from Monday Night Raw, NXT, AEW Dynamite, Impact Wrestling, SmackDown, and also AEW Rampage. This week is a special week because we just got done having AEW's all-out pay-per-view, and we had the debuts of Brian Danielson, Adam Cole, Ruby Soho, and also the first match of CM Punk's career since he's been gone from wrestling for seven years. And without further ado, let's get on with the show. First off, let's start with Monday Night Raw. Raw opens up with a in-ring promo from the team of RK Bro, the Raw Tag Team Champions. The main point of why they're out here is that they're here to see who they're going to be defending their Raw Tag Team Championships against because there's going to be a tag team turmoil match tonight and the winners of the tag team turmoil will be going against RK Bro. Now here comes the WWE Champion Lashley and MVP. Lashley wants to face Randy Orton because Randy RKO'd him last week after their tag team match. Randy says he will face Lashley only if Lashley puts up the WWE Championship because Lashley and Randy both want to be double champions, Randy being the Raw Tag Team Champion and Lashley being the WWE Champion, Lashley agrees to this. He will fight Orton for the WWE Championship at Extreme Rules. MVP and Lashley say that they're going to talk to Adam Pearce to see if they can enter themselves into the Tag Team Turmoil so they can face RK-Bro and Lashley can become a double champion. Then out comes the New Day. They tell Lashley MVP that they need to hurry up because the match is about to start right now with the New Day going against the Viking Raiders to start the Tag Team Turmoil. Tag Team Turmoil is a straight up just a gauntlet match. The two teams will start off when one team gets eliminated, then another team comes out, and so forth and so forth until you have your winning tag team. That's what Tag Team Turmoil is. Throughout this process, Randy Orton and Riddle are at ringside watching this match go on. Now, the first match of the Tag Team Turmoil is the New Day going against the Viking Raiders. The New Day eliminates the Viking Raiders by pinfall. It was a good tag team match. I suggest people watch this one. Then the next team that follows is Jinder, Mahal, and Veer. The New Day eliminate Jinder and Veer by pinfall. Then the next team that comes out is Lucha House Party. The New Day eliminates the Lucha House Party by pinfall. Then the next thing that comes out is Mason T-Bar. The New Day eliminates Mason T-Bar by pinfall. However, unlike the other teams who, who lost and they bowed out gracefully, Mason T-Bar don't do that. They attack the New Day after their match. They beat them down, and then out comes Mansoor and Ali, who's supposed to be the next tag team to go against the New Day. Mansoor wants to attack T-Bar and Mace. However, Ali is trying to hold back Mansoor because Ali wants to win the tag team tournament to face Riddle and Orton, but Mansoor wants to do it the right way and don't want to have to go against the New Day all hurt. While this is going on, T-Bar Mace is still putting the boots to New Day. Mansoor is able to escape Ali's grip and run into the ring, and he gets beat down by T-Bar and Mace. Ali sees this, he's reluctant, but he runs into the ring to try to save his tag partner, but that's to no avail. He gets beat down by T-Bar and Mace as well. T-Bar and Mace focus their attention back onto the New Day when they were they law shoot lawn dart Kofi Kingston into some steel steps and then a double chokeslam woods against the ring post on the outside. Now you have Mansoor, Ali, and the New Day just laid out 
and just looks completely destruction. Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville and also other WWE personnel come out and tell T-Bar and Mace that's enough and tell them to go to the back. And now you have people checking on Mansoor Ali in the New Day and people are wondering, is the tag team turmoil still going to go on? Is it done? What's going to happen? Sonya Deville announces that they're going to let the New Day and Mansoor Ali recover and later tonight they will finish the tag team turmoil match to see who will be going against Riddle and Orton. After this, we get the match of Drew McIntyre going against Sheamus, and the winner of this will become the number one contender for the United States Championship. This was a great match. Both of these men use each other's signature moves throughout the match, like Drew using Sheamus' white noise and Sheamus going for Drew McIntyre's uh, Claymore, doing the whole countdown setup for it, but he doesn't uh, connect with it. In the end, Drew takes off Sheamus' uh, protective face mask, and he sets it up for the Claymore, but Sheamus counters Drew as Drew's running over to him and about to hit him with a claimer. Sheamus counters out of it and hits Drew with the roll-up, and he pulls on the tights as the referee's counting, and he gets the win. So Sheamus gets the win by pinfall, but he does it underhandedly. After the match, Drew gets up, and he's holding Sheamus' face mask, and Sheamus tells Drew, okay, he wants his face mask back. Drew is so upset. He, you just see the upsetness on Drew's face. He smacks Sheamus right in the face with the face mask, and you see the mist fly off of Sheamus' face. That tells you how hard Drew hit him in the face with the face mask, and Sheamus just dropped down into the mat. And now you see Drew walk back over to the corner, and he starts counting down for the Claymore, the 3-2-1. He runs over, and he Claymore kicks Sheamus in the face. After this, we get a backstage interview with Nikki, Ash, and Rhea Ripley. The main point is that they don't have much in common, but they hope to beat the women's tag team champions. And hopefully they get a number one contender uh, shot at the tag team champions. And then they will be able to win championship gold around their waist. And so that's what they plan on doing next. You got Nikki Ash and Rhea Ripley going against the team of Natalia and Tamina, the women's tag team champions. And if Rhea and Nikki win, they get a future tag team title shot. This match was fine. You have the history of uh, Natalia and Tamina being that established tag team, going after a new tag team that doesn't really uh, have everything under control, like they're not put together yet, but you can see it in the match that they're trying to put things uh, together. They're starting to find out their strengths uh, of Rhea and Nikki just like working together. In the end, though, Natalia was about to put Nikki in the sharpshooter, but Nikki was able to tag Rhea Ripley in, but Natalia doesn't see this. So this allows Rhea Ripley to come behind Natalia and hit her with the Riptide and pin Natalia for the win. And you have Natalia and Tamina losing to Nikki Ash and Rhea Ripley. So now Rhea and Nikki get a future women's tag team title shot down the line. After this, we get the segment of Moist TV of John Morrison being the host and his guest is carrying Cross. The main point of this is that Cross is going to hurt Morrison. He's going to make Morrison suffer. This uh, segment wasn't it. It wasn't it at all. I have no idea what they're doing with Cross. I just hope they plan on having Cross turn into a monster when Scarlet shows up in due time. I mean, since Cross has been on the main roster, he's been a real watered-down version of himself. But uh, he doesn't have his lady beside him, so hopefully whenever Scarlet does come back into the fold, he'll become that monster that he was when he first joined NXT. But if not... Boy, oh boy, this is going to be a long time until he uh, finally uh, turns into the monster that he should be. 
Anyway, after this, we get the matchup, John Morrison going against Karrion Cross. This was a throwaway match. The only highlight of this match was whenever uh, Morrison grabbed the drift stick and sprayed water onto Cross. This really ticked off Cross, which led Cross hitting Morrison with a T-bone suplex over the ring post to the outside of the ring. So they're inside the ring. He brings them to the corner, and then he T-bones them over the ring post on the inside to have Morrison fall on the outside. Now, whenever the camera angle falls back to Morrison, Morrison looks dazed and just out of it. So Cross goes outside. He throws Morrison back into the ring and locks in the Cross jacket. And Morrison just passes out in the move. And Cross wins the match by submission. Now it's time for the Raw Women's title match. Charlotte Flair defending her Raw Women's Championship against Nia Jax, who has Shayna Baszler in her corner. Before the match begins, Shayna gets on the apron and says that she agrees with Charlotte and thinking that Nia can't beat Charlotte again. And Nia's looking at Shayna asking her, why are you doing this right now? And this leads Charlotte to attacking Nia Jax and they just start throwing shots and just start throwing blows at each other. And they just start pulling each other's hair. I mean, they go back to the exact same thing that they did last week where last week you saw them just at one point, they just start really like brawling and hitting each other and it doesn't look like professional they just look like okay they're mad at each other so you start seeing them just smacking each other at one point charlotte goes outside of the ring and grabs the title and says she's done with this and she's about to walk to the back but shana baylor doesn't allow her to do this and charlotte's just telling shana to get out of her face and get out of her face but she doesn't do that so you see shana trying to be a good friend of nia Jax, but in the end that doesn't in the end that was none of, that was all a facade because towards the end of the match Charlotte and Nia were fighting on the outside of the ring, and Baszler looks like she's about to attack Charlotte, so she runs behind Charlotte, and she's about to hit her, but Charlotte moves out of the way, and Baszler almost collides with Nia, so you have this moment of Nia and Baszler just staring at one another, and Nia just, like, really keeping her eye on Baszler, and this leads to Charlotte and Nia continuing their fighting, but this time inside the ring, and this time Charlotte goes to the top rope, and Baszler now gets on the apron, and she just starts distracting Nia Jax just out of the complete blue. And Nia is just constantly just yelling to Shayna, asking her, why are you doing this right now? Why are you doing this? And this allows Charlotte to hit the natural selection off the top rope onto Nia Jax, and she pins Nia Jax to get the win. So Charlotte is still your Raw Women's Champion by pinfall and also by distraction by Shayna Baszler. Hopefully this... A uh, whole Shayna and Nia Jax crap in soon because this didn't make any sense to me. But hey, we'll see how creative uh, gets their way out of this. After the match, though, Alexa does show up on the screen and offers Charlotte a seat on the playground. Charlotte declines and tells Alexa she doesn't have time for the mind games, which leads to Alexa to tell Charlotte she has to bring the playground to Charlotte. Then the lights start flickering on and off in the arena. Then the lights go out. And then a minute later, the lights pop right back on, and Alexa's now in the ring with Charlotte. Charlotte asks Alexa, point blank, what do you want? And Alexa points at the Women's Championship, and Charlotte agrees, so at Extreme Rules, we're more likely going to get Charlotte defending the Raw Women's Championship against Alexa Bliss. I want to see how this goes. I think they're going to have Alexa losing, but I want to see how she does lose, though. After this, we get Reggie. Defending the 24-7 championship against Akira Tozawa. This was a quick throwaway eh, match. Reggie beats Tozawa by hitting him with a flipping senton. And he pins him and gets the win. After the match, you get R-True, Cedric Alexander, Humberto, 
and a couple of other wrestlers trying to come down to the ring and go after Reggie in the 24-7 championship. But Reggie escapes all of them, and Reggie goes to the entrance stage, and he's met by Drake Maverick. Drake Maverick is a wrestler who's been on NXT for the past months, and now he's apparently he's back on Raw, and he was the first like guy to really make the 24-7 title like something. Him and R-Truth, and you have this moment where R-Truth goes up to Drake and tells him this is his show, and the 24-7 championship is his baby, but he's glad to see Drake back here, though. After this, we get a backstage uh, segment from Dewdrop. Matter of fact, a backstage interview from Dewdrop. The main point of this is that Dewdrop mentions that she attacked Eva Marie last week because Eva doesn't usually get into the ring. She doesn't really even have a match, so Dewdrop wasn't going to allow another opportunity to escape Eva Marie and Dewdrop, so Eva Marie got taken out by Dewdrop easily. And Dewdrop makes a challenge to Eva Marie next week for a match. That's it. After this, now it's main event time, the rest of the tag team turmoil match. Again, RK Bros at ringside to watch the rest of this, and the first match of the rest of this uh, tag team turmoil is the New Day going against Ali and Mansoor. The New Day beats Ali and Mansoor by pinfall. The next thing that comes out is AJ Styles and Omos. And AJ and Omos beat the New Day by pinfall. And this ends the New Day's like hot streak of almost running the gauntlet in this tag team turmoil match. And then the final team to come out is MVP and Bobby Lashley to go against AJ Styles and Omos. And MVP and Lashley beat AJ Styles and Omos. So that means next week on Monday Night Raw, we will be getting MVP and Bobby Lashley going against RK Bro for the Raw Tag Team Championships. After the match, Omos does double choke slam Bobby Lashley. And Omos gets outside of the ring. Him and AJ start walking up the ramp, which leads Orton to get into the ring and give him enough time to hit Lashley with an RKO to send him a message that he is still going to strike whenever the opportune time is right and the WWE Championship is coming to Randy Orton. And that's your last final uh, image on Monday Night Raw. RKO or RK Bro being the last people standing in the ring as Lashley's just laid out in the ring. That's your final image on Monday Night Raw. Now down to NXT. NXT opens up with a match of Ember Moon going against Kaylee Ray. This is a nice competitive match to start off NXT. We were able to see a fire that we haven't seen in Ember Moon in some time. Ember controlled most of the match. However, Ember and Kaylee Ray traded pinfalls and Kaylee Ray was able to transition out of a bridge off the mat into the KLR bomb, which is the gory bomb, and hit Ember Moon with it and pinned Ember Moon to get the win. So again, I've made this statement pretty uh, synonymous here. NXT has the best women's division on the planet, or at least in North America, because I don't really watch enough Joshi wrestling to say on the planet, but in North America, NXT has the best women roster. AEW is second. Matter of fact, AEW second, Impact third. You get the drift here. But AEW just does that. Not AEW, but NXT just doesn't have the fire that they need like the past NXT women's division had. They had not even just stars. They had women that were ready to try to take the division up to another level and to another level. But right now, it just seems like the women's division is stagnant. And Kaylee Ray did say last week that she's here to spark fire back into the women's division. So with this match, you were able to see her spark fire back into uh, Ember Moon, who was a former NXT women's champion. And 
you are able to see the fire being brought back into Ember Moon. So right now, Kaylee Ray is doing what she promised and said that she would do last week and just bring fire back into the NXT Women's Division. So again, NXT Women's Division is number one in North America. AEW is a close, uh, not even close. They're number second, they're number two, but they got to get another, they got to get a couple more pieces to the puzzle to be the number one, but they'll get that in due time. But anyway, stick with NXT. After this match, we get a backstage interview with Danny Burch and Orny Lorcan, who's there with Rich Holland and Pete Dunne. The main point of this is that Danny Burch and Orny Lorcan, they want the NHC Tag Team Championships back because they never lost them. And Pete Dunne tells them not only to take the NHC Tag Team titles back, but to end MSK. After this interview, we go back to the ring, and now it's time for Carmelo Hayes to go against Santos Escobar, who is being accompanied by the rest of Legado del Fantasma, which consists of Raul Mendoza, Joaquin Wilde, and Electra Lopez, the newest addition to Legado del Fantasma. This was another solid match on NXT. The story of this match was a young wrestler not backing down, the young wrestler being Carmelo Hayes. Carmelo was taking punishment in this match, but was able to come back and almost win the match towards the end of the match, however, when Santos is on the outside apron and Carmelo slingshots himself onto the outside apron and hits Santos with a DDT, Carmelo throws Santos back into the ring, and now you have Joaquin Wilde and Mendoza get on the apron to distract the referee, and this gives Electra Lopez enough time to turn Carmelo around and hit him with a suplex on the outside of the ring. Now, Carmelo is in shock. He's in pain, but he's in shock that he just got body slammed by a chick, and he's just getting himself up, and he's just, like, walking back to the ring, but he's keeping his eyes on Lopez. Now, as he gets in the ring, this gives Santos enough time to hurry up and turn Carmelo around and hit him with the Phantom Driver and get the win. So Santos Escobar wins the match with help from Agata de Fantasma. After this, we go to a promo from Malcolm Bivens. Malcolm Bivens introduces the numerous members of Diamond Mind, which will be the team of the Creed Brothers, Julius and Brutus Creed. They are credible amateur wrestlers. Malcolm gives off their accolades, and he just lets the fans know that they're about to witness the Creed Brothers in action tonight. After this, we go to an announcement from William Regal. Regal announces that next week on NXT television, there will be a number one contenders match to see who's going against Samoa Joe for the NXT championship sometime soon. And it's going to be a fatal four-way match. The members of the match will be Tommaso Ciampa, Pete Dunne, Kyle O'Reilly, and LA Knight. So those four men will be going against each other in a fatal four-way match next week on NXT to see who's going to face Samoa Joe for the NXT championship somewhere down the line. After this, we go back to the ring, and now it's time for the in-ring debut of the Creed brothers, Brutus and Julius Creed, being accompanied by the rest of Diamond Mind, going against a team of scrubs. The names were Chucky, Viola, and Peyton, Avery, whatever the names were, they didn't matter. The Creed brothers straight up dominated the match. Brutus started off the match, and he just started throwing around both of them, I mean, just throwing around on the mat, just like amateur wrestling throwing them. Matter of fact, no, it was belly to bellies throwing them around in the ring. He even threw one of the member, one of the competitors out of the ring, and he hit hard on the outside. So then you get Brutus tagging in his brother Julius, and Julius hits a double leg rolling slam 
and he follows it up with a sliding forearm to one of the competitors' face and ends the match. I mean, this match was just dominated by the Creed brothers. You could tell that they have some amateur background. They know what they're doing in the ring, at least amateur wrestling style, and they're able to mix it up with the wrestling uh, formula. They're going to be a great brothers tag team in here, and people, I already see it now that people are going to try to make the comparisons to uh, the Scott, the Steiner brothers, who were a tag team, who were a pair of brothers, who were accomplished amateur wrestlers. I can see that whenever the Cree brothers start getting much more uh, seasoning on them. I can see this uh, comparison being somewhere down the line. I can see it now, but I'm just telling you right now, these are this is a tag team that we do need to be watching out for. After this, we go to a backstage interview of Ember Moon. Ember Moon mentions how she has been on a downward slide for the past three months. She mentioned how she lost the NXT tag team titles. She lost her tag team partner, Shotzi Blackheart, whenever Shotzi went to the main roster. And she has lost every match in between since then and now. Moon does mention that she doesn't like the way that she has been feeling lately. She says she knows what she must do, and she tells everyone to be on the lookout. After this, we get a backstage segment from Hit Row, and I'm going to let you hear it right now. <laughs> you know what? I can't even be mad because I should have seen it coming. You know, from myself breaking a guitar over your back to Hit Row getting in the back parking lot fight with y'all, I should have known Santos was going to come back with something. I just couldn't put my finger on it. But it's cool. You're never going to catch Swerve or Hit Row slipping ever again because the joke is now on you. And that's funny, because y'all like to say no Mexican saying that loosely translates to he who laughs last, laughs best. But we ain't laughing. See, we got sayings in Pine City, too. Like my nana used to say, a hard head make a soft, soft ass. ass. That's why I draped all three of y'all around me like a musty poncho. <laughs> and we dropped y'all like a $10 pinata. Couch your blessings, because now we apply pressure. And then they had the nerve to just add us some chick. <laughs> to take out the baddest chick, fast. Senorita Secret Sauce? <laughs> I don't know who you are, but hitting B-Fab with the pipe is not how you say hello. Showing. But when we actually meet, you're gonna be big mad because all the tenemos un problema. Now we have a problem with Cha-Cha. Big if you didn't know, now you know. Now we head back into the ring. Now it's time for the NXT Women's Tag Team Championship match. The team of Io Shirai and Zoe Stark is defending their NXT Women's Tag Team Championships against the team of Kaylin Carter and Casey Catanzaro. The story was simple. Casey and Kaden were on the same page. They're a tag team. They actually like each other. While the other team is a dysfunctional team of Zoe Starks trying to be friends with Io Shirai while Io doesn't like Zoe. So now you have this dysfunction, but they are the tag team champions. Do do when do they lose? How are they going to do this and actually function as a tag team? But in the end, Io Sarai and Zoe Starks do win the match whenever Zoe hits her tilt to world knee to the face on Casey and she tags in Io Sarai so Io can hit her moonsault and pin Casey to get the win. So you still have Io Sarai and Zoe Starks retaining their NXT Women's Tag Team Championship match. It was a solid tag team. Uh, match. I couldn't give you all details. I just gave you the finish because again, it was solid and that's all that really matters, especially in this match because after the match, Casey and Kaden are on the stage. They're looking at Zoe and Io Shirai in the ring celebrating with the, their tag team championships and they get attacked from behind by Mandy Rose, who's now wearing a face guard 
well, facial protective mask, the same one like Sheamus is wearing, and her running mates now, Gigi Dolan and JC Jane. So that tells you that this is the new three girl, three girl uh, faction on NXT, and they're planning to try to wreck shop. I want to see how this works because Mandy isn't known for her ring work like that, but we shall uh, see how this goes in the future. After this, they show a segment, a video segment of the bachelor party for Dexter Loomis. Early in the night, they did one for a bachelorette party for uh, Indy Hartwell because Indy and Dexter will be getting married on NXT next week. So they're doing their bachelor and bachelorette parties. Uh, Dexter has his at a racing, like a go-kart place in his groomsmen that were there were Cameron Grimes, Odyssey Jones, Drake Maverick, a zombie referee, and Johnny Gargano. Uh, At the beginning, Johnny doesn't want to give Dexter a chance at all to enter the way. He still doesn't like Dexter because Dexter kidnapped uh, Austin Theory. He cost Johnny so many matches last year. He just doesn't like the idea Dexter was getting with Indy Hartwell. But in the end, Dexter does gain Johnny Gargano's trust. And Johnny Gargano is now on board with the marriage of Dexter Dexter and Indy uh, happening next week. But we shall see, because usually wrestling and marriages, none of it ever goes right. So we shall see what type of chaos does ensue next week on NXT, whenever the wedding, all in quotations, of Index does happen. After this, we go backstage and we have Frankie Monet and Jesse Kamea just talking amongst themselves, and then you get Robert Stone coming out, and he just try to catch his breath, and he informs Frankie that next week she gets her one-on-one NXT Women's Championship match against Raquel Gonzalez, and Frankie Monet is so excited about this because now she gets to showcase to the world that Frankie Monet deserves to be on the main stage and that she is the number one woman in NXT. After this, we get the in-ring debut of Mei Ying going against Virginia Furry. Mei Ying beats down Virginia Furry and puts her in the tongue and death grip and brings her down to the mat and the referee counts. One, two, three. Mei Ying wins by pinfall. This was a quick get in, get out match. This was just trying to show you that this mythical figure who's been in the shadows and been on the uh, entrance ramps who's been watching her protégés, Boa and Xia Li just wrestle for the past couple months. So now she gets into the fold now. So we're going to see more of uh, Tai Shin or Tin Shaw. I believe that's their group name. We're going to see how this force uh, ensues NXT. I want to see how this goes because NXT so far uh, is turning into a different direction than what it once were was. So I'm hoping to see it actually get into, well, divulge more to a whole lot more character with also in-ring work. Hopefully, with the idea and also the rumors of Bruce Prichard and Vince McMahon running shop of NXT since Triple H is now uh, not running shop in NXT. Let's see how Vince and Bruce take care of NXT. After this, now it's time for main event time. The NXT Tag Team Champions, MSK, going against Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch, who on their corner has Pete Dunne and Rich Holland, who just stand back for the the remainder of this match. 
Pete Dunne and Ridge Holly don't even get involved in this match at all. They don't even try to strike intimidation in MMSK or anything. They just stand in the back and just watch as Danny Burch and Oni Lurkin try to regain back their NXT Tag Team Championships. It doesn't happen. MSK beats Oni Lurkin and Danny Burch whenever MSK uh, were able to hit their assisted blockbuster onto Danny Burch. They pit him and they are still the NXT Tag Team Champions. Again, not a lot of details in this match because the after the match was the real big story because after the match, Rich Holland and Pete Dunne are now in the ring and Danny's trying to get to his feet as MSK is on the entrance ramp. Rich Holland turns around, he picks up uh, Danny to his feet and he headbutts him. Oni Lorcan sees this, he has a uh, question mark on his face. He's trying to figure out why are they doing this. Pete Dunn goes over to Orny Lorcan, he shrugs his shoulders, and he just roundhouse kicks uh, Orny right dead in the head. And now you have Ridge Holland hits the Emerald Fusion onto Orny Lorcan. And now you're about to see Ridge and Pete Dunn leave out of the ring whenever they see Danny Burch crawling over to Orny Lorcan. And then you have Pete Dunn look over to Ridge Holland. He just nods his head, and Rich Holland gets right back in the ring. He picks up Danny Burch again, and he headbutts him again. So now you have Rich Holland and Pete Dunne leaving the ring as Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch are just laid out in the ring. And now this whole faction of Rich Holland, Pete Dunne, Oni Lorcan, and Danny Burch that just came back two weeks ago have now been fizzled out, and now it's just two sub-facts, two, two, uh, Two groups out of the team, out of this whole faction that was once a faction for like two weeks. And that came together originally because they all had a beef against the Undisputed Era, who now the only people in NXT that are Undisputed Era former members are Roderick Strong, who's with the Diamond Mine, and Kyler Riley, who's by himself. So this faction being broken up, yeah, it makes no difference to nobody because people didn't care. So now you got Pete Dunne, who has his muscle, Ridge Holland, and now you got the team of Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch back to being another uh, team on the NXT roster. And that was the end of NXT. Now it's time for AEW Dynamite. AEW Dynamite starts off with Dustin Rhodes going against Malachi Black. Dustin went straight after Malachi when the bell ringed. Dustin even got the better of Black in the beginning of the match. However, Black was able to regain control of the match whenever he back suplexed Dustin into the table next to the ring announcer on the outside of the ring. Dustin at that moment was holding his left leg, so Malachi Black started attacking Dustin's leg, and Dustin couldn't protect himself. There were moments in the match that Dustin were able to fight back and try to hit Malachi with a Canadian Destroyer, but couldn't. Black then goes outside and goes under the ring and grabs Cody's boot that he took away from Cody a month ago. Black brings the boot into the ring and he just puts it at the face of Dustin Rhodes. This makes Dustin upset and he gives him a burst of energy just out of nowhere and starts attacking Black. It was enough energy to let Dustin hit the Canadian Destroyer and as Dustin goes for the pin, that isn't enough to put Black away. Dustin then tries to hit a bulldog from the corner, but Black holds onto the ropes, and this allows Dustin to slide off of Black. So now Dustin tries to run over to Black, but Black was able to hit him with a leg sweep and sweep the legs of Dustin and have Dustin hit a turnbuckle that was exposed earlier in the night because whenever Black exposed one of the turnbuckles earlier in the night, Black has seized his opportunity, and he 
turns Dustin around and he hits him with a spinning heel kick and Black gets the win. So now Black has took out Arn, Brock, Dustin, and Big Shotty Lee. And he gets announced that at AEW's event at the Arthur Ashe Stadium, Cody will be making his AEW debut, well, re-debut again, his return match going against Malachi Black. So we shall see what they uh, have in store for each other at Arthur Ashe Stadium. After this, we get a video package of the Lucha Brothers. The main point of this video package is that they make it known. If you feel that you can take the tag team titles off of them, come and try. They are the new AEW Tag Team Champions because they beat the Young Bucks at All Out in a steel cage match, which was bloody. After this, we get an Eddie Kingston and Miro video play. They're not through with each other. Kingston starts throwing insults at Miro, and Miro just says that he's going to break Kingston. So this tells you that their whole little feud that they got isn't over. Now it's time to get back to the ring, and now it's time for a CM Punk in-ring promo. And as I might say, they are really going to make sure that you see CM Punk every week on AEW Dynamite to let you know that CM Punk is back in professional wrestling. And if I was Tony Khan, I would do the exact same thing. I'd probably like let Punk get like a week or two after this because you keep on showing him on AEW programming so much, people going to be like, okay, we get it. Punk's here. Punk's here. We get it now. We get it. So use Punk, not going to say sparingly, but next week, keep him off of television. Let people mention him, but just keep him off television. That's just my advice for that. But anyway, Punk uh, mentions that he gives props to Sting and Darby because Darby took it to uh, Punk at All Out, but Punk was still able to get the win. Punk sees Brian Pillman Jr.'s family out there, and he gives respect to Jr.'s uh, Aunt Linda. Because Punk mentioned how he watched The Dark Side of the Ring, the Brian Pillman story. And if you haven't seen it, it is a great... The whole Dark Side of the Ring is a great, interesting, like, uh, detail of a story of specific things that happened in professional wrestling that were having to be, no pun intended, the Dark Side of the Ring. Because you got the light side, where people glamorize, and it's all Hollywood, and it looks so perfect. But the dark side is whenever you get, like, the real dark and mean and gritty type things, and if you haven't seen the Brian Pillman story, it's on YouTube, I believe, and I would suggest you need to watch it, because again, you'll get the story of Pillman, you'll understand why Punk gave respect to uh, Brian Pillman Jr.'s Aunt Linda. Punk then hears people start chanting for John Moxley, because they're in Moxley's hometown of Cincinnati, Ohio, and Punk mentioned that after he had his match at All Out, he texts his wife, and she asks him, what's next? So Punk told the fans that it's up to them, and he hears them chant for different wrestlers, and then you get Taz get off the commentary table, and he grabs a microphone. He tells Punk, don't mention any member of Team Taz. Punk told Taz he didn't hear anybody mention Team Taz at all. Taz tells him, just don't mention any member of Team Taz at all. Punk starts calling out members of Team Taz, and he calls out, Ricky Starks, he calls out Hobbs, he calls out Taz's son, Hook, and he tells Taz that, uh, beat me if you can, survive if I let you, and that's Taz's old catchphrase from ECW, so now you got Taz upset at the commentary table, and you got now the feud that's being brewed up right there of CM Punk going against basically all the team Taz somewhere down the line. After this, we get a backstage uh, interview from Ruby Soho and Tony Schiavone, but she is interrupted by Britt Baker and company Rebel and Jamie Hayter. 
Baker asks Tony, why are we wasting valuable TV time on the flavor of the month here? Ruby tells Tony that she helped Baker break into the wrestling business and that they know each other quite well. Ruby mentions how Britt has so many nicknames and say that she knows why she has so many nicknames. It's because she doesn't want people to see her for what she really is. Britt tells Ruby that she forgot to mention the most important name of all, which is AEW Women's Champion. Britt tells Ruby, why don't you go run away back to caterings since you were there for the last four years, and Ruby's now about to tag Britt, but Britt and the rest of her company leave from the area. Now we go back to the in-ring competition. We got Powerhouse Hobbs and in his corner, Hook going against Dante Martin. Dante Martin was able to get a few hits off on Hobbs until Hobbs ran right into Dante Martin and just took him out at that moment. This knocks the win completely out of Martin, so now you got Hobbs dominating most of the match, but Dante was able to get some offense off, and he even legitimately knocks out Hobbs with a kick to the head. You see Hobbs woozing at one point. You see him just like so out of it. So again, they had to hurry the match up, and Hobbs was able to grab some of his senses and able to hit a spine buster on Dante Martin, pin Dante, and get the win. This one was going, this one's going to be a miss for people because Hobbs should have been uh, dominating Dante Martin majority of the match as he did do but whenever he got knocked out that's whenever you saw him really like not focused on anything so you could tell that they had to hurry this match up after this we get a segment from Dan Lamberg in the men of the year in the audience Dan mentions all the names Tony Khan has recently just signed like CM Punk, Adam Cole, Brian Danielson, Ruby Soho and say they are all under five foot nine and they don't make actual wrestlers. Dan is playing the role of a man living in the past, wanting to see men be men. He mentions how the men of the year are going to change this company and that they're going to make people become actual professional wrestlers and not just this garbage, flippy, dippy wrestlers that we have now. After this segment, we get an in ring promo from MGF who comes down to the ring with Wardlow. MGF mentions that prior to All Out, he has beaten Jericho three times. And it wouldn't have been a fourth time, but the referee restarted the match. MGF then just starts crapping on Cincinnati, Ohio. He trashes their MLB baseball team. He says that everybody that lives in Cincinnati is mid. MGF then pays close attention over to Brian Pillman Jr.'s family. He starts trash-talking them, and this leads to Brian Pillman Jr. coming out and telling MGF that Cincinnati, Ohio breeds tough guys and names his father, Brian Pillman, and John Moxley, and also now Brian Pillman Jr. MGF then starts trash-talking Pillman's mom, and this sends Pillman directly to the ring, and now you get Pillman trying to go after MGF, but he is stopped by Warlow, who's in between MGF and Pillman Jr. now. MGF tells Warlow, what are you going to do? Stop Pillman the same way that you tried to stop Hagger last Sunday? The same way you tried to help me Sunday? MGF then orders Warlow to stand in the corner and in his words, look pretty. MGF and now you got MGF and Pillman brawling and Pillman gets the better of MGF and now you have Pillman just on top of MGF to start hitting him and clobbering him. Warlow sees this, he hesitates, but he inserts himself and pulls 
Pillman off of MJF, and this sends Griff Garrison, who is Brian Pillman Jr.'s tag partner, down to the ring, but Griff gets done up quick by a clothesline from Warlow as soon as he enters the ring. Warlow then lifts up and holds Griff Garrison so MJF can hit him in the head with his AEW Dynamite ring and knocks out Griff Garrison. MJF and Warlow leave the ring and they made their statement well known. After this, we get an in-ring competition from Ruby Soho making her AEW Dynamite debut going against Jamie Hayter with Britt Baker and Rebel in her corner. Hayter was using her strength in this match to overpower Ruby Riot. Well, Ruby Soho, sorry. Ruby was able to hit her finish out of nowhere and pin Jamie Hayter. After the match, Britt and Rebel come into the ring and attack Soho. Out comes Riho. But she gets nailed with a chokeslam breaker from Jamie Hayter. And now you got three women being on two. And Britt Baker's about to hit the curb stomp onto Ruby all in the AEW Women's Championship until Chris Statlander comes down to make the save with a steel chair and runs off Britt Baker and company. Now it's time for six-man tag team match action of the Dark Order, which consists of Evil Uno, Stu Grayson, and John Silver going against the team of the Pinnacle of FTR and Sean Spears, who has Tully Blanchard in their corner. FTR and Spears win the match because of miscommunication of the Dark Order. Whenever FTR and Sean Spears hit a assisted Death Valley driver onto John uh, Silver, and Sean Spears pinned John Silver and gets the win, now you get Evil Uno coming into the ring and just shoving John Silver. Then you get number five coming in, and he shoves... Evil Uno, and then once that happens, you get Stu Grayson shoving number five. And I mean, just a whole debacle between in the Dark Order because Adam Page isn't there, and they're all trying to figure out what to do with themselves since Adam's not there. And you can just tell that whenever Adam comes back to AEW Dynamite, their Dark Order is all going to come back under one, and that their new, technically, their new leader will be Adam Page, unless a certain somebody comes into AEW and brings in the Dark Order and reigns them in all himself or herself, but more or less a him. If you get the drift of who I'm talking about, you know exactly who. And I'm going to say his name, Bray Wyatt. Uh, if he comes into AEW, I can see them literally inserting him right into the spot and bring all the Dark Order together because Brody and Bray were friends. They were like a brotherhood. They were a close nick. So I can see them passing that along to Bray, but Bray making his own and also still paying tribute to Brody Lee. So people won't say, oh, he's just taking over what Brody Lee did. No, he's adding a flavor to the position and he's adding his own panache to it, but he's still paying homage to his friend that passed away. I can see that if Bray does show up in AEW. But if not, if they're going to go with Adam Page being the leader of the Dark Order, the Dark Order is going to be fine. They're going to all come together, and Adam Page is going to bring them all together, and they will all be under the leadership of Adam Page. After this, we get a backstage interview of from Tully Blanchard. The main point of this is Tully Blanchard calls out Sting for trying to suck the juice out of Darby Allen, a young talent. Tully announces that next week it will be Sean Spears going against Darby Allen, and Tully lets Sting know that there will be a time when it will just be Sting and Tully Blanchard in the ring, like old times. I'm not sure if they're going to try to have a old man going against an old man type of style match, but 
Uh, I wouldn't hope that's where they're going with this. I hope that they get Ric Flair in there, and then you get like old school, real old school NWA slash WCW like reunion style situation in there at that moment. But anyway, after this, we get a backstage uh, promo from Brian Pillman Jr., who's in the training locker room because he's in there to watch out for his uh, tag partner, Griff Garrison. He lets it be known that he will have a match against MGF at Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York City. I can't give you the date because right now I'm not on the date. I just know it's somewhere in the middle of September. It's not next week, so it'll probably be the week after that. Um. Anyway, after this has been announced, the acclaim comes into the room, and Max Castle lets Brian know that he will be facing him on this week's episode of AEW Rampage. After this, we go to in-ring uh, promo time, and now it's time for The Elite. The Elite come out, and it's announced that Kenny Omega is the number one wrestler in the top 500 in PWI annual uh, magazine of top 500 wrestlers in the world. They gloat about Kenny being the AEW world champion. And then they introduce Adam Cole to the ring. Adam Cole announces that the Elite are the reason why AEW is the place to be and why people want to be here. Adam Cole says the Young Bucks are the best tag team in the world, and Kenny Omega is a -a once-in-a-lifetime wrestler. He also announces that he will have his in-ring debut next week on AEW Dynamite. Omega gets the mic and says that he hates being interrupted, and as soon as he says this, he gets interrupted again by who other than Brian Danielson. Brian Danielson comes down to the ring, and now is the Elite just all staring at Brian Danielson. Kenny Omega tells the Elite that he needs him to leave the ring so him and Brian can have a little one-on-one time in the ring. Brian gets into the ring. He grabs the mic away from Omega and says he wants to fight Omega. Omega tells Danielson that's not how it works here. Brian says that Omega is scared of Brian because he knows that he isn't on Brian's level and that he's not on Brian's elite level. Omega takes offense to this. He takes off his jacket, and then he lunges to strike Brian, but Brian catches the punch and transitions it into the gotch uh, submission, better known as the yes lock, and he has it locked in on Kenny Omega. Omega is a tabbing, but you can tell he's starting to get red in the face and that he's in agonizing pain, and this allows the elite to get in the ring and start attacking Brian Danielson. So now you have the Elite attacking Brian Danielson, but nevertheless, Jurassic Express, Christian Cage, and Frankie Kazarian come out to make the save on Brian Danielson's behalf. They take out the Elite, and Brandon Color is the last member of the Elite left in the ring, and he gets a running knee to the face by Brian Danielson. So this lets you know that Brian Danielson does have a group of friends around him to try to take out the Elite because people are tired of the Elite being around in AEW. Now it's time for the main event of AEW. John Moxley going against Minoru Suzuki. At the beginning of the match, Minoru and Moxley were just trading strikes with each other. I mean, just constantly. Punch, punch, slap, slap, elbow to elbow. Constantly just going at it. In the match, though, Moxley does bust open Suzuki's right eye. And now Suzuki is just bleeding from the eye. And you can just tell that they are just trying to still work stiff with each other but just not try to hit each other in the eye or any like important uh parts of the body now in the end though moxley does hit minoru suzuki with two paradigm shifts and he pins him to get the win after the match moxley goes outside of the ring and he starts going into the crowd to celebrate 
with his hometown crowd, the uh, Cincinnati, Ohio crowd, because John Moxley is the hometown boy. So that was the end of AEW. John Moxley beating Minoru Suzuki. Impact Wrestling starts off with Tasha Steeles with Savannah Edwards in her corner going against Rosemary and Havoc in her corner. This match is continuing the feud of Havoc and Rosemary going against Tasha Steeles and Savannah Evans. Rosemary beats Tasha by pinfall when Rosemary hits Tasha with a spear. After the match, Havoc and Rosemary are celebrating in the ring with the tag titles. Then Savannah Evans gets in the ring and has a stare down with the champs. They throw their belts down as if they're going to fight Savannah. Tasha grabs the belts and catches the champs' attention by doing so. Having a Rosemary are looking at Tasha now, and this allows Savannah to hit the champs with a double clothesline to the back. And now, having a Rosemary are laid out on the ring, and Savannah leaves the ring and goes up the ramp with Tasha Steeles, and they have the Knockouts Tag Team titles in their possessions. So now, Tasha Steeles and Savannah Evans have the Impact Knockouts Tag Team titles, and now you're going to be on the chase of Rosemary and Havoc basically trying to get back their tag team titles. After this, we get a backstage interview from Ace Austin with Mad Men Fulton in the background. Ace Austin talks about beating Christian Cage to become the youngest world champion in Impact history. And Mad Men Fulton tells Ace Austin that Scott Demore is over there, and Ace Austin and Mad Men Fulton walk over to Scott. They tell him that they have one more episode until Victory Road, and Ace went up against Tommy Dreamer last week, so Christian needs to face someone. Ace volunteers Madman Fulton to be Christian's opponent. Scott tells Ace that next week, it'll be a 10-man tag team match to main event Impact Wrestling next week. Team Ace versus Team Cage. So, with this being the case, Ace Austin now has a look for partners. Ace Austin sees Brian Myers and his minions over in the corner, and he walks over to Brian Myers. He asks Myers to be a part of his team, and Myers accepts. Now we head back into the ring. Now it's time for a bunkhouse brawl. Bunkhouse brawl is basically another term for street fight. Um, it's Carl Anderson with Doc Gallows in his corner going against Rich Swan. When the bell rings, Swan started attacking both men. He uses trash can lids, rope, and attacks both men by kicking them in the family jewels. That will change when Carl starts attacking Rich Swan in the back with the trash can lid hitting him multiple times, and he even superplexed him on the entrance ramp. Towards the end of the match, Carl tells Doc to get the table, and Doc does so. Doc and Carl sets up the table in the ring. Carl was about to hit Rich Swan with a gun stun, basically an RKO in WWE's term, but Rich counters out of it and hits a spinning roundhouse kick. Rich then puts Carl on the table, and goes to the top rope, and Doc grabs Rich's leg, and now Swan drops on the turnbuckle, and now he's crotched on the turnbuckle, hurting. Carl then gets off the table and goes to the top turnbuckle that Rich is on and hits him with a gun stun from the top turnbuckle onto the table. It was supposed to be going through the table, but the table doesn't break, so Carl ends up pinning Rich Swan, and Carl wins the match, so Carl beats Rich Swan by pinfall in the bunkhouse brawl after this we get a backstage interview from mickey james the main point of this is that she mentions that diana peraza took her moment away from her at nwa 73 so mickey wants to get back at diana peraza by taking something away from her mickey states that when she came to impact wrestling this time it was all about business but now it's personal so diana peraza is at the front of mickey james mind after this, we get a challenge being thrown out by Matthew Raywalt going against Trey Miguel for a match next week. Now we go to a 
backstage interview with Josh Alexander, the X-Division champion. Josh talks about facing Chris Sabin at Victory Road and says that he feels prepared to beat Sabin. Christian Cage walks towards Josh and tells him that he respects what Josh has been doing on Impact. Christian cuts all the BS out and asks Josh, does he want to be on his team? Josh accepts, so now Christian has one member on his team for next week's main event. After this, we go back to the ring. Now it's time for in-ring competition. Chris Bay going against David Finley. Chris Bay is playing with David at the beginning of the match by keep going in between the ropes and making the referee keep David away from him. Chris goes outside of the ring and David follows him and uppercuts him and chops Chris right in the chest. David is upset because Chris cheated in their last match against each other. Chris took advantage of the match when David tried to enter the ring and got kicked in the chest and Chris slingshotted himself onto David Finley's back. At the end of the match, Chris was about to beat David Finley by pitting him with a roll-up and putting his feet on the ropes just like he did last time. However, Juice Robinson comes down to the ring and pushes Chris' foot off the ropes. And now Chris is looking at Juice. And this gives David enough time to roll up Chris for the win. So David Finley beats Chris Bay by roll-up. So now they're one and one. After the match, David Finley and Juice Robinson are in the ring looking at Chris Bay. And then out of nowhere, Hikaleo enters the ring and destroys both Juice Robinson and David Finley. He big boots David and he choke slams Juice Robinson. Chris Bay comes in the ring with a steel chair and puts uh, Juice Robinson's leg in between the chair. And Chris Bay now runs towards Hikaleo. Hikaleo throws Chris Bay up in the air. And Chris Bay comes down by stomping on the chair that has Juice Robinson's leg in it. So Juice is now in pain. And now you have Chris Bay and Hikaleo standing over Finn Juice. After this, we go to the backstage for a contract signing for the X Division Championship match between Chris Saban, the challenger, and Josh Alexander, the champion. They talk smack towards each other and they sign the contract. Josh Alexander leaves, and Christian Cage walks in and asks Saban to be on his team. Saban says yes, and now you have an interesting uh, dynamic going on right now because Christian now has the champion and the challenger on his team, and I can guarantee that next week there is going to be some chaos on the side of Team Cage because now you got Josh Alexander, who's the champion, going against his challenger, uh, Chris Saban, at Victory Rose, but they're going to be on the exact same team next week. We're going to see how this... uh how they coincide with one another, how they work together, knowing that they're going to be facing each other within the next couple days after next week's episode of Impact Wrestling. After this, we go back to in-ring competition. It is Steve Macklin going against Petey Williams. Macklin was dominating the match until Petey started attacking Macklin with his speed. Petey was springboard from inside of the ring to outside of the ring, hitting a Huna Karana from inside of the ring to outside of the ring. And then from outside of the ring to inside of the ring with a code breaker. Petey was going for a Canadian destroyer until TJP in no way's conga line came out and distracted Petey Williams. This allowed Macklin to hit Mayhem for All, which is the reverse 1914, and pins Petey Williams for the win. TJP did this because Petey came out and attacked Macklin when he had a match with TJP two weeks ago on Before the Impact. Before Impact, before the Impact is a show that comes on before Impact Wrestling that basically uh, lets the viewers at home see what's coming up, what kind of matches are coming up on Impact Wrestling. That's basically just a warm-up show. 
This is TJP uh, giving Petey Williams his receipt for interfering in his match with Macklin two weeks ago. Now we go backstage and Eddie Edwards is being interviewed. Eddie talks about being ready to face Moose, even though he has W. Morrissey in his corner for the match. Sammy Callahan walks up to Eddie and told him that he didn't help out Eddie last week because Eddie told him not to. So he asks Eddie again, does he want to reconsider his help? Eddie tells Sammy no and still wants nothing to do with Sammy. Christian walks up to both of them and asks them to be a part of his team. Sammy accepts the offer, but Eddie Edwards tells Christian he won't be on the same team as Sammy, so he's out. After this, we go back to another interview from Ace Austin, and Ace Austin gets interviewed and asked about Christian recruiting people for his team. So what does Ace have to say about this? Ace isn't worried about who Christian has on his team and always has an ace up his sleeve. As soon as he says this, he gets interrupted by both Moose and W. Morrissey. Morrissey tells Ace that if Sammy or Eddie Edwards is on Christian's team, they're in. So basically meaning W. Morrissey and Moose joins Ace Austin's team. So now Ace's team is filled up with himself, Madman Fulton, Brian Myers, W. Morrissey, and Moose going against the team of Christian Cage, Petey Williams, and Josh Alexander in still two remaining slots because we don't know if Eddie is still going to be on the team or Sammy's going to be on the team. Even though Sammy gave his word, Sammy does kind of flake out from time to time. So it was still kind of a mystery mark on that spot. So now we go back to the ring, and now it's main event time. Eddie Edwards going against Moose with W. Morrissey in Moose's corner. This is a solid main event. Moose was attacking Eddie's right arm a majority of the match. Eddie had to deal with Moose's strength and W. Morrissey on the outside of the ring. Toward the end of the match, Eddie tries to hit the Boston knee party, but Moose, is, but Moose catches him and powerbombs him. Moose runs over to Eddie, but Eddie moves out of the way and Moose now hits the second turnbuckle. As soon as Moose turns around, Eddie hits him with the Boston knee party and Eddie covers Moose. As the referee was counting, W. Morrissey puts Moose foot on the rope. The ref stops the count because Moose's foot is now on the rope and Eddie dives onto Morrissey on the outside of the ring. When Eddie comes back into the ring, Moose nails Eddie with the spear, covers him for the pin, and gets the win. After the match, Morrissey comes in the ring and attacks Eddie Edwards and Moose joins in with Morrissey beating down on Eddie. Then Chris Saban comes out to make the save and takes out both Moose and Morrissey. Now out comes Brian Myers and his minions to beat down on Chris Saban. Then out comes Josh Alexander and he takes out Myers and his minions. Then now out comes Ace Austin and Madman Fulton and they hit a double, well they hit a chokeslam blockbuster combination maneuver on Josh Alexander. Madman Fulton was holding up Josh Alexander in the air, in the air as Ace Austin went to the top uh, turnbuckle and hit a blockbuster off that. So it was a devastating looking maneuver, especially Ace Austin's uh, landing on it. He looked like he landed awkwardly, so I'm hoping that Ace kind of recovers from this. Anyway, Ace Austin and Mehmet Fulton now have the ring to themselves, and now out comes Christian Cage. Christian hits uh, Fulton with the kill switch, and now Ace Austin and Christian are brawling until Eddie Edwards gets back in the ring, and now he's working with Christian against Ace Austin. They throw Ace out of the ring, and Christian now goes after Ace, and now Eddie's in the ring, and as soon as he turns around, he hits, get hits with a big boot by W. Morrissey. Now, Moose and Morrissey has Eddie in the ring, and they are setting up to powerbomb Eddie until his wife comes down 
to the ring with a kendo stick and attacks both Morrissey and Moose. Morrissey ends up grabbing Eddie's wife by the throat, and he looks like he's about to do something to her, but the lights flicker off. And when they come back on, Sammy's in the ring with Morrissey and Eddie Edwards, and he has two baseball bats in his hands. Sammy hands Eddie a bat, and they attack Morrissey until Morrissey exits the ring. Christian gets in the ring and talks to both Eddie and Sammy. They both look at each other. They clink their bats, and they agree to be a part of Team Cage. So Impact Wrestling goes off with Team Cage, Christian Cage, Chris Saban, Josh Alexander, Sammy Callahan, Eddie and Eddie Edwards in the ring, just standing tall as all of Team Ace Austin are laid out outside of the ring. So this gives you a glimpse of what you should expect uh, next week's episode of Impact Wrestling to look like in the main event. Now it's time for SmackDown. SmackDown opens up with a 9-11 tribute video. The main purpose is that they talked about how America didn't waver and how they stood together strong and united during this tragedy that struck America and how we have rebuilt and come together uh, as one solid nation. After the video plays, out comes the bloodline and Paul Heyman towards the ring for a promo. Roman Reigns states that the bloodline run WWE, which means they run New York City, which means they run Madison Square Garden. The reason why he says this is because WWE tonight on SmackDown were in Madison Square Garden. It should have been self-explanatory. Then out comes Brock Lesnar walking towards the ring. Now you got the fans going all ape crap because now you see Brock still coming out there with his uh, new look and he's just walking around the ring, he's staring down the Usos and Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman before he even gets into the ring. But as soon as Brock gets in the ring, he goes straight to Roman Reigns', Roman Reigns face, and you have now the stare down between Roman and Brock Lesnar just staring at one another. But the difference is, Paul Heyman is on the opposite side of Brock Lesnar. He's not with Brock, he's with Roman Reigns, as Reigns is standing there with the Usos by his side. And knowing this, Roman Reigns takes a step back and allows the Usos to move closer. So now, Brock Lesnar is looking at the Usos. And with this happening, Paul Heyman walks up to Brock and asks him, why the Universal title? Why not any other title? You know that we can go after any other championship. Brock takes the mic and asks Paul, why didn't he tell Roman that he was at SummerSlam? This now has the whole crowd going crazy. They start chanting at Paul Heyman saying, you effed up, you effed up. And now you see Roman looking at Paul Heyman in a look of like disbelief. And he even grabs his universal title away from Paul Heyman. And now you have the bloodline and Roman Reigns leave the ring, and now you just in the ring is Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar, and Brock is just standing there with a smile on his face because he know he just caused destruction between the bloodline and Paul Heyman with that uh, sense of misguidance between the two now. Paul Heyman is just standing there shaking. He doesn't know what to do. So what does Paul do? He goes back to doing what he does best. He goes back to being the weasel that he is, he grabs the microphone and he does his old shtick by announcing that he has been the advocate for the reigning, defending, for the past 20 years, WWE champion Brock 
Lesnar. He goes back to being the hype man for Brock. Brock said, man, that felt good like old times. And Brock moves closer to Paul and tells Paul, before Roman fires you, you need to accept my challenge. And now you got the fans anticipating and now you got Paul even anticipating. Paul asks, what challenge? Brock said, to face Roman for the universal title. And you have five seconds to do so. Brock counts down to five, and once he hits five, he quickly picks up Paul on his shoulders, and he's about to give Paul Heyman an F5. However, Roman Reigns gets back into the ring, and he Superman punches Brock directly in the face. This knocks down Brock and puts Paul Heyman down off of Brock's shoulders. Roman looks to hit Brock with another Superman punch, but Brock catches him, and now the Usos come in, and they superkick Brock Lesnar. Brock doesn't go down after this super kick, and he decides to double clothesline the Usos. The Usos drop, and now you have Brock Lesnar German suplexing one Uso after the other as Roman Reigns gets out of the ring and starts walking up the ramp and towards the back. And behind Roman Reigns is Paul Heyman holding the Universal title. So this tells you that Paul is still in the camp of the bloodline, but you still have this mistrust that Roman has with Paul Heyman especially as the night progresses. After this, they go to commercial break, and once they come back from commercial break, you see the bloodline walking backstage to their locker room. They get stopped by Caleb Braxton, and she asks Roman, will he accept Brock Lesnar's challenge? Roman doesn't answer this. He just walks into his locker room, and the Usos follow him. Paul answers that question, and Paul tells Caleb that Roman will answer that question when the tribal chief deems it appropriate to answer that question. Now we go back to in-ring competition. It's a 10-man tag team match. The Mysterios, Big E, Rick Boogs, and the Intercontinental Champion, Shinsuke Nakamura, going against the team of Sami Zayn, Robert Roode, Dolph Ziggler, Otis, and Apollo Crews. Before the match starts, Sami gets on the mic and says he loves New York. He's in a New York Knicks jersey, and he has a pants like duffel pants that says, I love New York, all out on the pants. And he introduces someone who knows how to win in New York City. He introduces Trey Young, a basketball player for the team of the Atlanta Hawks. The fans are booing Trey Young because apparently Trey Young was held responsible for knocking out the New York Knicks in the NBA playoffs this past season. Yet again, I'm not a basketball guy. I was catched up all... Catched up on this by the commentary team. The ending of this match came when Trey Young was choking Rey Mysterio on the ropes, and the referee caught him, and the referee had to send Trey Young to the back. And with this happening, this distracts Sami Zayn, who's the legal man for his team, and Rey sends Sami Zayn into the second ropes. And now you have Rey and Dominic hit the double 619 on Sami Zayn. They tag in Big E, and Big E hits the big ending on Sami Zayn. Biggie pins Sami Zayn, and he gets the win for his team. After the match, Caleb Braxton goes into the ring and asks Big E, since he has the Money in the Bank briefcase, what championship is he going after? Big E states that it doesn't matter if the Almighty or the Tribal Chief himself is the champion. If you have what I need, I'm coming for your neck. If you have what I need, you're going to feel my power. After this, we get a contract signing between Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch for the SmackDown Women's Championship at Extreme Rules. 
at the beginning, Bianca is the only woman of the competitors out here to sign the contract. Bianca gives her props to Becky, but states that as of late, Becky has lost some of Bianca's respect because Becky keeps on mentioning the 26 seconds that she beat Bianca at SummerSlam. So Bianca's starting to get tired of Becky mentioning this. So hopefully she has the opportunity to win Bianca's respect back from her at Extreme Rules whenever they face off in a proper one-on-one match. And Bianca states that she will win back her championship. Bianca signs the contract and out comes Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch is really playing into the Big Bex uh, character persona because she is coming out rocking a big fur coat, a big fur, big furry like red coat. It looks so obnoxious. It's just stating that she's a big deal, like the Big Bex character that she's now portraying. Becky states that she knew she had Bianca's number at SummerSlam because when her music hit, Bianca was starstruck. Becky asks Pierce and Sonya Deville, what happens if she doesn't sign the contract? Pierce and Deville said that said to Becky, you need to sign the contract. Becky just keeps on persisting. What happens if I don't sign the contract? I mean, what is going to happen? Then you have Pierce, Deville, and Bianca straight up just telling Becky to sign the contract. And now you got the fans even chanting at Becky to sign the contract, sign the contract. Becky hears all of this, and she gets up and starts throwing a little tantrum. She states that she left her little baby at home and saved all of their butts whenever uh, somebody wasn't there at SummerSlam, and she had to be filled in last minute to come in and save all your butts. She beat her, she beat her, meaning Bianca, to win the championship, and now this is what you're doing? You guys were all chanting for me when I was home. But now that I'm back and I did all this for you, you're here chanting for a flash in the pan, meaning Bianca Belair. Uh, Becky ends up signing the contract and says that she's going to give Bianca her match, but it's going to end the same way as it did at SummerSlam. Becky signs the contract and she throws the contract in Bianca's face, but Bianca catches the contract and Becky walks out of the ring. She's holding up the championship and that's the end of this segment. We go backstage now, and Paul Heyman is walking backstage and bumps into Kayla Braxton. Kayla asks Paul, does he have an update on Roman answering Brock Lesnar's challenge? Paul tells Kayla that Roman will be out there watching his cousins, the Usos, defend the tag team titles against the Street Profits. And after that match, he will answer Brock's challenge. Paul walks away from Kayla and bumps into Big E. Biggie looks at Paul and starts smiling and laughing as he's holding up the Money in the Bank briefcase, basically giving a uh, future look at your boy is going to have to deal with me sometime soon because or later because I have the Money in the Bank briefcase and I'm going to keep on reminding you every time I bump into you. After this, we get a match of Edge going against Seth Rollins. This is their SummerSlam rematch. I personally like this match. Rollins was using moves from Edge's household, meaning that Rollins used Edge's uh, wife, Beth Phoenix, finished the Glam Slam on Edge twice. The first time he did it, it didn't look pretty, so Rollins had to redo it again, and this second time he did it, it looked it perfect. Then he tried to use Edge's own move, the execution on him, but Edge was able to count out of that, and Edge hit uh, the pedigree on Rollins. Rollins used the pedigree for a good amount of time when he wasn't uh, able to use the curb stomp, and it was prohibited from the WWE uh, books. 
So now that Rollins is able to use the curb stomp, he's abandoned the pedigree. Just wanted to throw that out there as for some uh, backstage on why Edge used the pedigree. Rollins was able to counter the spear into a neck breaker, and Rollins was then looking for the curb stomp, but Edge turned that into a spinning sit-out power bomb. Uh, Rollins buckle bomb Edge, and then Edge hits uh, Rollins with a spear, and Edge goes to put Rollins away with the pin after this, but that doesn't put Rollins away. The ending of the match came when Edge was uh, going to do something to Rollins' arm, but Rollins went over to the referee and distracted the ref, and now the ref couldn't see what Rollins was doing or Edge was doing, so this gave Rollins the perfect opportunity to kick Edge in the family jewels. With this, Edge now holding himself, and Rollins uh, kicks out Edge's uh, right, right leg from underneath him, and now Edge drops down to his knees, and Rollins sees Edge, and he just uh, super kicks Edge four or five times right dead in the face. After the second super kick, Edge pops up to his, not pops up, but he like doesn't drop to the floor. He drops a little bit, but he still pulls himself up to his knees, and he just looks at Rollins. Rollins super kicks him again for the third super kick. And Edge still doesn't go down. He still pulls himself back up to his knees. And Rollins just yells at him, why don't you die? And he super kicks Edge in the face. And this time, Edge is now dropped to the ground. Rollins sees this. He looks at Edge and he just goes to a corner. And he runs and hits Edge with the curb stomp. And after this, Rollins pins him. And he gets the win over Edge. So now it's one and one. But after the match, the referee calls for a stretcher to come down and get Edge. Uh, Rollins is now sitting in the corner and just looking at everything happening as Edge is now being put on the stretcher and being uh, hauled off into the ambulance. And once Edge is in the ambulance and the ambulance is now driving off, the camera pans over and it's Seth Rollins looking at the ambulance driving off. And an interviewer comes to Rollins and asks him, how does he feel? Rollins says he doesn't know how to feel. He knows his arm hurts a little bit, but he doesn't know how to feel. You got Rollins that just like completely snapped out of a uh, comatose metamorphosis type uh, stance. Whenever he was in the match, he was a crazed guy just trying to beat Edge. But now since he beat Edge, he snapped out of that. Uh, metamorph he snapped out of that stage and now he's back to this guy that looks like he's got some remorse he doesn't he doesn't know what to do now now that he's beaten edge so that was this whole segment was about after this we go to Roman reigns in his locker room and he's with the Usos and I'm about to play you that clip right now we're the ones right yeah we the ones ones bloodline that means they want what we have. They want to take it from us. What I say earlier, we run New York. Mm -hmm. We run the garden. Yep. We run WWE. Let them have it. No. And you're losing tonight. Hey, don't even trip, Boos. Our match is next. We got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to make the family proud still. We the ones. Yeah. yeah. I'll talk things about. We think we'll be just fine with the tribe, Chief. Paul. That's my tribal chief. I saved you. Yes. I saved you. Yes. 
Why didn't you tell me Brock was at SummerSlam? If you guys could have seen Paul Heyman's face when Brock, well, when Roman asked Paul, why didn't you uh, tell me about Brock being at SummerSlam, you just saw Paul just basically froze up. He couldn't answer Roman at all. He looks like, yet again, a troubled child looking at his parent whenever the parent chastised him, asking, why did you do this? And the child has nothing to say. He just looks all like stuck in frozen time. That's the exact same way that Paul looked towards Roman. Anyway, now it's time for the main event of SmackDown. It's the SmackDown Tag Team titles on the line. The Usos defending it against the Street Profits. At the beginning of the match, Roman was in his locker room watching the match with Paul Heyman. Until the Street Profits were beating down the Usos and then Roman Reigns came down to watch the match in person with Paul Heyman by his side. Montez Ford was beating up on the Usos. So bad that one of his shoes came off and Montez threw that shoe right into the crowd. That's how much Montez was into this match. The Street Profits hit a tower of Blockbuster, which is basically a tower of doom, but instead of the clothesline, it's a Blockbuster off uh, your tag partner's shoulder. The end came when the Usos superkicked uh, Dawkins and Jay hits a splash onto Dawkins for the cover, but that doesn't get the win. That doesn't get the job done. Jimmy tags himself in, and Montez Ford tags himself in, but Jimmy doesn't know that Ford is tagged in whenever he goes up to the top and tries to splash Dawkins, but Dawkins puts his knees up. So now when Jimmy comes down, he hits Dawkins' knees, and now he rolls onto the mat, and now he's just holding his stomach as Montez Ford goes to his corner's uh, top turnbuckle and hits a frog splash on Jimmy Uso. And Montez Ford is pinning Jimmy, and as soon as the referee was about to hit the three, and we were about to get new SmackDown Tag Team Champions, Roman Reigns gets in, and he goes directly for Montez Ford's neck, and he locks in the guillotine choke, and you just see him start swinging Montez Ford like a fish coming out of water. Montez Ford was just flailing in the air as Roman was just holding on and squeezing on Ford. The referee calls for the bell, and the Street Profits win by disqualification because Roman came in to help the Usos. But the Usos are still the SmackDown Tag Team Champions because the belts do not switch on a disqualification. The Usos take out Dawkins, who's on the outside and can't help Montez Ford as Roman is holding on to that guillotine until he decides to let go of Ford. The Usos and Roman Reigns are in the ring with Paul Heyman. And Roman gets the mic and he says that he's not afraid of anybody. He says that he will get to... Brock Lesnar as soon as he gets done smashing Finn Balor. The lights go out and red lights pop and you hear a heartbeat uh, sound around the area, around the arena. This allows the fans to understand that we are about to see the demon come and face Roman Reigns. And sure enough, the lights and everything start beating up well, as soon as the heartbeat starts beating rampantly, you start hearing boom, 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 until Finn's music hits and out comes the Demon King, Finn Balor. The Demon King is a alternate persona of Finn Balor. Finn Balor whips out the Demon King whenever he's at his highest peak and he can't take it no more. So now he has to turn into this new persona. So the Demon King comes out and he looks at Roman directly in his eyes. And now it's been announced that at Extreme Rules, it will be the Demon King Finn Balor going against Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship. 
Also, during this broadcast of SmackDown, uh, there was a Raw commercial airing, and on the commercial, it stated that we will be getting a WWE Championship match on this upcoming week's Monday Night Raw, where Bobby Lashley would be defending the WWE Championship against Randy Orton. So I guess they swiping out the Raw Tag Team title uh, championship match that we were supposed to get this upcoming week, and they switch it over to the WWE Championship. We'll just have to see how they do it on Monday Night Raw, but I don't know what they're doing. They should have kept the tag team titles for that and just wait for the WWE Championship to be at Extreme Rules. But again, we'll just have to see whenever Raw uh, rolls around this upcoming week. Now it's time for AEW Rampage. Rampage starts off with Andrade El Idolo with Chavo Guerrero Jr. in his corner going against Pac. This match was supposed to happen at All Out, but somebody's travel delays uh, made this match be rescheduled to today's uh, AEW Rampage uh, episode. The commentary team makes it known that the Lucha Brothers did walk out with Pac on the entrance, but Pac told them to go to the back, so this is the reason why Pac is going at this whole match alone with nobody in his corner. This was a great uh, match between both of these wrestlers because they wanted to prove who was the better out of both out of each other. The end came when Pac had Andrade in the Brutalizer, and Andrade's handler got on the ring apron with a taser and just started to uh, tease that he was going to go in there and tase on uh, Pac. The referee was distracted by the handler. The Ulucha brothers come down. They pull the handler off the ring apron, and they super kick the handler. And this allows Chavo to come in and just hit Pac in the back with an iPad. And now Pac is laid out on the ring. He's exhausted, and Andrade turns around, and he covers Pac, and he gets the win, so Andrade beats Pac by pinfall. After the match, Andrade sees the replay on the tele on the Titantron, and he looks at Chavo and just keeps on motioning that you hit Pac in the back. And he hugs Chavo at one time, and he's like, okay, fine, whatever. And then he, you can see the like wheels turning in Andrade's head as he keeps on motioning over that he hit him in the back. He hit him in the back. Andrade then goes in for another hug for Chavo, and he hugs Chavo, but then he hits him directly with a forearm to the face. So now you got Chavo on the um, entrance ramp, and Andrade and his handler walking up the entrance ramp, and you hear Andrade just yelling, and he's yelling that he wanted to do this by himself. He wanted nobody's interference. He wanted to prove that he was better than Pac. Chavo looks at Andrade as Andrade's yelling at him, and then as soon as Andrade's done talking, Chavo turns around and he's looking at the Lucha Brothers. They super kick Chavo and they send Chavo directly into the ring as Pac is waiting for Chavo to come in. He locks in the Brutalizer on Chavo and he just holds the Brutalizer submission on Chavo until he decides to let go of the hold. As he's holding on to the submission, you see referees and other personnel from the back of AEW roster personnel come out to try to tell Pac to let go of the Brutalizer, but that doesn't happen. Pac let go of whatever he wants to let go. After this, we get a Darby Allen and Sting in-ring promo. Darby calls out uh, Sean Spears for riding Tully Blanchard's coattails after the remote that Tully made to Darby Allen for saying that uh, Sting has been riding on Darby Allen's coattails throughout this whole time in AEW. Uh, he says without Tully, Sean Spears is nothing. Sting 
says that Tully has rode on the coattails of Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. So Sting decides to call out Tully Blanchard and say that we can do this right now. Tully comes out and he just starts talking nonsense. I didn't pay no attention to it. But this does distract Sting long enough for Darby to get dragged outside of the ring and Sean Spears to hit Darby Allen with a Death Valley driver on the outside of the ring. And once Sting notices this, he runs outside of the ring and chases off Sean Spears. And Tully Blanchard says that you fell right into our trap. And he starts congratulating uh, Sean Spears for completing the game plan. After this, now it's time for in-ring competition. It's a six-woman tag team match. Britt Baker, Rebel, and Jamie Hayter going against the team of Ruby Riot. Well, Ruby Soho, I'm sorry. Uh, Riho and Chris Statlander. It was a solid six-woman tag team match. It had some sloppy uh, moments at the beginning, but it was solid towards the end of it. Ruby hits Rebel with a Pele kick and pins her for the win. Uh, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. They need a couple more experienced uh, women wrestlers on their roster, and within a couple of years, AEW, in my opinion, again, will have the best women's roster on North America. Right now, it is still NXT. Now it's time for the main event of AEW Rampage. Brian Pillman Jr. going against Max Caster, who has Anthony Bowens in his corner. At the beginning of the match, Pillman was taking control of the match until the referee was distracted by Caster, and Brian Pillman was trying to look for a springboard move until Bowens pulled him down, and uh, Pillman hits the ring apron, and then Bowens hits a back suplex on Pillman onto the apron and then throws him into the ring. And now this allows Caster to start attacking Brian Pillman and just starts beating up on Pillman. Towards the end of the match, uh, Pillman goes into the top rope and jumps to the outside of the ring onto Anthony Bones with a crossbody. So this takes out Anthony Bones for the rest of the match. But this also allows Max Caster to hit a baseball slide onto Brian Pillman and throw him back into the ring. And once he does this, he goes now up to the top turnbuckle and now goes for the mic drop, which is an elbow drop off the top ropes, but he misses. And now this gives Brian Pillman enough time to go outside of the ring, get on the entrance, get on the ring apron and hit Caster with a springboard clothesline and he pins Caster to get the win. The springboard clothesline was a tribute to his father because that was his father's old finishing move that he used to do in WCW whenever he was known as Flying Brian Pillman. And also, his son, Brian Pillman Jr., was wearing Flying Brian on the back of his tights in this match. So this whole match was basically a homage and a tribute towards his father, Brian Pillman Sr. After the match, Pillman goes outside of the ring, and he goes to his family that's in the crowd, and he hugs them, and he's just so happy that they're there. And Pillman gets back into the ring. He starts celebrating again because he's in Cincinnati. The fans are cheering for him. But then he gets attacked by Anthony Bowens and Max Caster. They're going to hit Pillman with the boombox. But John Moxley comes out and makes the save. He hits Bowens with the boombox. And this allows Brian Pillman Jr. to super kick Max Caster. And then Max Caster gets hit with the paradigm shift. And now at the end of AEW Rampage, you have... Moxley hugging Brian Pillman Jr. And now you have two Cincinnati boys just embracing one another as their hometown is cheering them on, ending AEW Rampage. Now, before I get you guys out of here, let me just talk about two things real quickly. Uh, Triple H underwent a heart surgery this week. Um, he had some type of heart 
uh, issue. They said that it was caused by a genetic heart issue. I don't know what that means. The only time whenever I hear genetic is whenever uh, they mean that it's like embedded in their DNA. Like somebody probably in his family probably has some type of heart condition. So he happened to be the man or the person on the family tree that happened to have this uh, heart condition. So he had to go get surgery for it. He got surgery for it. He's resting for it. Not resting. He's resting up. Uh, the surgery was a success, apparently. Uh, the surgery happened at Yale New Haven Hospital. And this is all coming from WWE, by the way. So Triple H is making a f recovery, and he's expected to make a full recovery. So no need to fret. Triple H will be here after this. So I just want to give a quick shout-out, a quick uh, wishing well to Triple H, Paul Levesque of WWE. And also, um, it's been reported by... Fightful Select. Fightful Select is a respected uh, wrestling uh, wrestling covering news site. They cover wrestling. That's basically the way I'm supposed to say it here. They cover news and wrestling. They get the backstage, uh, backstage unknown stuff uncovered, meaning as if somebody's contract is coming up soon, they let the fans know who's being uh, soon to be released or said to be released or who's coming into the company or what type of storyline plans was going to happen but got switched up. They'll, they get the dirt from uh, WWE or any type of wrestling company from any official that happens to talk to them. I don't know how they do it, but they do it. But anyway, getting to my point here, it has been uh, uncovered by FIFO Select that Kevin Owens' uh, contract will be ending in January of 2022. And whether you know that or not, that's in another couple of months. That's within, what, another four months? His contract will be up. And it's already been expected that he's going over to AEW because his best friends are the Young Bucks, and they're the executives over at AEW. So it will be nothing but a quick, easy thing for Kevin Owens to go over to AEW and become... Kevin Owens, or better known as Kevin Steen, the violent guy that he was before he joined WWE and had to tone down the violence just a little bit. See, my thing is, how do you let a guy like Kevin Owens walk out of your company right now? Seriously, because right now, a lot of people are constantly walking out of your company and joining AEW. And there's nothing you guys can really do about it. Yeah, you can throw as much money as you want at them, but if they don't want to be there, they don't have to be there. What I could say is you could try to incentivize him by saying you'll, he'll be having uh, better storylines. He'll be able to work with whoever he wants to work with. But even then, I don't still don't see him uh, staying in WWE even if he does this. And the reason why I'm saying all this right now is because it was reported again by Fightful Select. And again, I'm not sure how... I'm not sure how even respected... Not even respected how true this one is. Because I'm about to tell you this, and I'm about to tell you the reason why I don't believe this wholeheartedly. The rumor is, is that Adam Cole was going to be called up to the WWE main roster, but he was going to be managing a bad guy version of Keith Lee. Now, when you look at this on paper, Adam Cole managing Keith Lee, it looks weird, but it looks like it could actually work. See, my thing is, yes, that is completely weird. But also, yes, it could work because Adam Cole could make things work. And Keith Lee is such a big 
guy that he can make a lot of things work. He's an agile big man. He can talk well on the mic. And also, he's just so impulsing. Like, imposing. Like, if you see him, he looks like a big dude. Not fit, but just like a big dude that can still move around and do things that you know, a cruiserweight can do. It's really impressive. But, you got Adam Cole. A guy that had a complete monster career on NXT. He came in beating up on Drew McIntyre, who was the NXT champion. He had a few with Aleister Black. He was in the first war games. He's the first ever North American champion. He wins the tag team titles, well, retains it, but also wins the tag team titles and also the NXT North American championship in the same night. He then becomes NXT champion. He's a triple crown champion in NXT. He's won numerous awards in NXT. He's in countless wrestling classics in NXT. He was literally the man throughout his whole four-year run in NXT. Constant. Constant. Adam Cole was in something big in NXT. All right? And you decide to say, okay, we're going to take this guy who had a monster career on NXT. We're going to have him as a manager for Keith Lee. See, again, I don't see that as a problem, but knowing WWE's whole thing is, you would have had him as a manager that couldn't wrestle. He would have amnesia like, oh my God, I forgot to wrestle. The same way that you did with Leo Rush going against whenever he was uh, Bobby Lashley's manager. See, the pairing worked because Lashley was the imposing figure and Leo had that aggravating voice that made people want him to see him get his uh, butt kicked. By keep on just chanting Lashley, Lashley over again. And the way he did it was so aggravating and annoying. People really wanted to see Leo get his butt kicked. And whenever Leo got into the ring, it just seemed like he was a scared manager. He, like he didn't know how to wrestle. And Leo Rush is this guy that was a quick upstart in professional wrestling. He was on the independence for a short while. But boy, was he the fastest rising uh, independent wrestler on his time on the independence. He was that guy. And whenever he got signed to NXT, they didn't do nothing with him for a little bit. And then when he got put up to the main roster, he goes up there to be a manager. Cool, but you can't fake not knowing how not how to wrestle. With a guy like Leo Rush, you got to let him be Leo Rush. You got to let him use his speed. You got to let him do his springboard stuff. You got to let him do his things that what made him Leo Rush. You signed him for a reason. Let him be who he is and let you make the money off of him and let him make money off of himself for being himself. So Adam Cole made the right choice by going to AEW and not sticking with WWE because he saw the writing on the wall if that was truly his plan, if that was truly their plan to make him Keith Lee's manager. Let's be honest. Again, I put all respect on Keith Lee and Adam Cole's names. They could have made that work. Without a doubt, they could have made it work. But who wants to see Adam Cole as a manager to Keith Lee and then when there's time for Adam to wrestle, Adam forgets to wrestle. Adam forgets knowing how to wrestle. Nobody wants to see that. People are going to boo that mess out of the woodwork. People are going to be saying things online that WWE constantly gets bashed on online for saying that you are burying and killing characters. I mean, come on. What are we doing here with that creative idea? They should have had Adam Cole being the next guy to go after Roman Reigns straight up. I'm not even going to lie and try to fib to you. If you didn't know what you were doing with Adam Cole, hey, 
you should have pitched it to him. Hey, we want you to go after the head of the Timberwolves Marines. Is that something that you seem interested in? And let Adam Cole marinate on that idea for the next two months, whenever his contract was coming up. Let that marinate in his idea because that would have probably changed his tune to probably wanting to stay over in WWE, knowing that he would go against Roman Reigns, the head of the table, the top act in WWE right now. With Adam Cole doing his thing and Roman Reigns doing his thing, you mean to tell me Adam Cole going against Roman Reigns wouldn't have been a money match for anybody? Since Roman's going against Finn Balor, especially now the Demon King, I have no problem with Finn and I have no problem with the Demon King. It is good that we're going to see the Demon King after he hasn't been on, what, programs for, I'll give it a solid, what, three years? That's the last time I think we've seen the Demon King. So again, yet again, I'm paying respects to Finn and the Demon King persona. I'm just saying that Finn, as the Demon King going against Roman, that's a money match. And you mean to tell me that Adam Cole being that monster that he was in NXT and going up to the main roster and making his debut going against Roman Reigns for the Universal title, that wouldn't have been a monster money match? That should have been your uh, thing for Adam Cole. Straight up go after Roman Reigns and then after that, we have you start either teaming or feuding with Kevin Owens. That's what you should do. Start building off of things that the fans already know. People already know Adam Cole is friends with Kevin Owens. That should be his next feud or teaming up with situation right there. But that's just my two cents on that opinion of Adam Cole and uh, Kyle, or, not Kyle, but Kevin Owens' whole situation. If Kevin Owens go to AEW, hey, we all know that he's going, if his contract is truly uh, expiring on January 2022, the next four months from now. If he does uh, leave, we know he's going to AEW, and my only thing that I do have to say about that is this. AEW is creating a big, stacked roster. So many people, they keep on hiring people and hiring people and hiring people. That's good on them, but you got to look at who you hired right now. You have main eventers and main eventers and main eventers, and then what are you going to do whenever you have so many main eventers, and then you got the fans, because every wrestling promotion has to deal with this especially WWE because they have been the bar for so long, and especially this last era that we were just in WWE, the 2018 and onward, you had so many main eventers that should have been main eventers that WWE didn't put them in. AEW is a different company, but you have now have Malachi Black. You have Jericho, who's going to be in the main event scene. You have MJF, who is in the main event scene, whether people want to agree with it or not. Just because he was with Chris Jericho this last couple months, that doesn't mean MJF is not a main event talent, period. He is. So, again, Malachi Black, Jericho, uh, MJF, you have now Kenny Omega, who's been in the main event scene. You have John Moxley. You have Eddie Kingston, whenever you want to insert him. You have Pac, whenever you want to insert him. You have Andrade, whenever you want to insert him. But you're starting slow with him. But I can see them really putting him in the main event Within the next couple months, I can. You have Brian Danielson, who just got signed. You got Adam Cole, who just got signed. Um, you got, God, I'm probably missing somebody. Uh, you got Jungle Boy. Whenever they want to put Jungle Boy in the main event, he's a credible main eventer now because he's had enough time under his belt in the AEW roster. He can be in the main events. You got Brian Cage, who's a credible main eventer guy himself. Whenever you guys want to put him in the main event. You got Lance Archer, whenever you guys want to put him in 
the main event because he's yet again another big man who's credible. Again, you got so many guys on your roster that are main event caliber talent. And I don't want to exclude Miro because right now Miro's on a monster run as a TNT champion. And once he loses the belt, I can see him going after the AEW championship because he is God's favorite champion and he will feel butt naked bare without having a championship to offer up to God. So again, I can see that happening. But again, you get Kevin Owens or Kevin Steen whenever he does go to AEW, we'll be going back to Kevin Steen on your roster, and you just get another main event talent. You're gonna have to deal with okay. Here's oh yeah, and I forgot to say Adam Page. Sorry to Adam Page, but you got Adam Page also on the main event talent. But then you have all these main event guys, everybody. And I understand AEW is gonna be able to rotate these guys. I just hope they rotate them enough so that the fans won't get bored. With the concept of you guys having all these talents and all these scenarios of main eventers just roaming around freely in the main event scene of AEW. That's all I'm saying. I hope you are taking into consideration, you're jotting down who you got, who you position as main event caliber for this a couple months, and then we'll transition them over to mid-card talent, and then we'll chase some mid-card talent and start slowly moving up to main event talent, or we'll start transitioning them over into tag team things. I sense that AEW does because they're smart with their business, but that's just my thoughts on it. I want AEW to do well. I want WWE to do well. I want all professional wrestling to do well. Please, for the love of God, because once wrestling is doing well and once wrestling is at least enjoyable on television and it looks good, it makes a wrestling fan real happy to want to watch their product. So again... I love professional wrestling. I'm just throwing out my two cents, my thoughts on what needs and could happen for AEW and WWE. So with that being said, I want to thank you for listening for listening to uh, my two cents podcast presenting Wrestling Highlights of the Week hosted by G2. And let me get you guys my social media uh, stuff for Twitter. You can find me at at my two podcast. On Instagram, my two cents podcast G2. And if you want to email me for anything, because again, remember, life is precious. I don't need people to be going out here and uh, transitioning. You always have something to look forward to every single day. Every day could be a new thing for you to learn. And with learning comes knowledge and power, and nobody could take that away from you. And also, if you just want to talk to somebody, my email is. My two cents pod at yahoo.com. Again, my two cents pod at yahoo.com for all these social media links. Uh, they don't include the TWO or TOO is actually the number two in all these links. If you want to listen to past and future episodes, you can listen to them on Podbeam, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. Yeah, I'm on Audible and Amazon Music. So, that was a shock to me, but yay, I'm on those things. Uh, I believe that's it. So, again, I want you guys to have a great Saturday. I hope you guys tune into my tomorrow episode where I talk about things in the world and anything I want to talk about. But if you don't, uh, you will hear from me again next Saturday for another edition of Wrestling Highlights of the Week. This isn't goodbye. This is until you hear from the sweet sounding voice again. This has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by... My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I have been G2, your great, astound, lovely host. And I will see you guys when I see you. Bye-bye. Ta-ta. I hope you have a great Saturday. 
I love you all. God bless. Godspeed. Bye-bye now. I'm tired. You tired. Uh -huh. Jesus wept. Uh -huh.